Now, this was the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus, we find that he was cooking breakfast for his disciples. It reminds us that ministry is not always about the great mountaintop experiences. Quite often, ministry is about the common things that take place in our daily lives. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to see in this passage I titled, Do You Love Me? from John 21. We're going to see Breakfast by the Sea, verses 1 through 14. The restoration of Peter, 15 through 19, and the beloved disciple, verses 20 through 25. So verses 15 through 19, Peter's restoration. And it tells us in verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's stop there for a moment. First of all, we can't be sure to whom or to what Jesus was referring to when he asked Simon Peter this question, do you love me more than these? I think there's at least two simple options. Jesus was either pointing to the 153 large fish and what they had represented in Peter's past life as a fisherman his past trade, or he was pointing to the six other disciples who were there at that time with him. Do you love me more than your fellow brothers in Christ? Do you love me more than your past life, your past trade? But we can't be sure which one is correct. But what we do know is that Jesus was emphasizing the importance of putting all others before him. Do you love me more than? And for you, you could fill in that blank. Jesus might be asking you that question today. Another thing that's interesting about this text, in the English translation of our Bibles, 
we don't quite get the feel that you would get if you're reading it from a Greek translation. In the Greek, we find that there are two words for love at play here. Phileo and agape. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's To me, it's more of a give and take type of love. I love you because you love me. And agape, and this is my definition of agape, it's a giving love that never expects anything in return. This type of love is a love that God has displayed toward us in Christ Jesus by sending his only begotten son to die for our sins. And so let me read this passage again, but not with the English words, but the Greek words. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he had said a third time, do you phileo me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, said of this passage, Jesus came down to Peter's level because Peter would not rise up to the Lord's level. And then he said, it is always a sad day when we bring the Lord down to our level rather than rising to his. But there's another interchange of words going on here that the, actually the English does well in translating. You may have noticed that on the three occasions of do you love me, Jesus ended each one by first saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. And so there is a, a change of words from either feeding or tending, and from lambs to sheep. In fact, the second one in its uh, demonstrative form could mean little sheep. So we could go from a lambs to little sheep to full-grown sheep here, but the feeding and the tending of the sheep. We find that whether feeding or tending these lambs, these little lambs, these sheep, they all belong to Jesus first and foremost. He said, they're mine. Feed my lambs, my sheep, my little sheep. Secondly, the great shepherd of our souls calls Peter to be an under shepherd to his flock. He's calling him with a responsibility to take care of not Peter's flock, but Jesus said, my sheep, my lambs. And in Peter's restoration, we find, and this is what I love about it. I know what Pastor Chuck says, and I'm not saying that it's wrong. It is a sad day when we bring the Lord down to our level rather than rising up to his. But what I love about Jesus is he's willing to come down and meet us where we are at. And if need be, he'll come down with that phileo love that he might bring us up to that point of agape love. And Peter actually got it. In 1 Peter 4.8, he would write, 
Above all things, have fervent agape for one another, for agape will cover a multitude of sins. So later on, Peter would write about the agape love of Jesus Christ. He would come to that level of agape. But at this point in his life, with the denial of the Lord three times fresh in his heart, he couldn't get there. All he could say is, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And perhaps this is why Peter was so grieved in his heart when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me like a brother? When he realized that the Lord had stepped down to where he was at. Perhaps that's why Peter was so grieved in his heart at that moment. But I am so grateful that Jesus is willing to meet us where we are at. Not that we should stay there, but that he might raise us up to where he is. Verses 18 and 19, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So as a young man, Peter did what he pleased, but as a follower of Christ, one day, Jesus is saying, you're going to face a cross of your own and not a metaphorical cross. I think we use it too much sometimes in the church. Oh, you don't know the cross I'm facing. Now, Jesus was talking about stretching out your hands. He was talking about the type of death that Peter would die. And we know historically tradition teaches that Peter, after watching his wife be crucified, said that I am not worthy to die the death as my Lord, that upside down cross, he requested that his crucifixion would be upside down. Peter had once boldly declared, just perhaps less than a month earlier, or even a couple of weeks earlier, in Matthew 26, 33, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Yet before the night was over, Peter would deny the Lord three times. And to follow Jesus here means to surrender his life and surrendering Peter's will to Jesus's will in this situation meant that it would one day lead to his death by crucifixion. And yet Peter would later write in 1 Peter 4 verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also in the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that no longer he should live for the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men before the will of God. So following Jesus speaks about a surrendered life, surrendering our will to his will and being beloved by Jesus. Closing out verses 20 through 25, verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? He's just setting us up in verse 20. He's telling us that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the disciple who leaned on Jesus there at the last supper, John, the disciple who asked Jesus, Lord, who's the one who's going to betray you? So John reminding us that Hey, it's me. Remember, he never used his name in the gospel when referring to himself. 
He was either the sons of Zebedee. He was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the disciple who leaned on the breast of Jesus. But in reality, we know that Jesus loves all of us and has a unique and important task for each of us. So Peter, seeing John, verses 21 and 22, he said, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now perhaps mortified by his future demise, how would you like to be told? One day they're going to crucify you. Again, not kind of a makeup crucifixion, but the real thing. Peter saw John and wanted to know, well, what about him? What about John? And Jesus basically said, Peter, it's not your concern. You follow me. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Then the saying went out, John tells us, the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? So here we get a little uh, church legend that developed around John while he was living. The legend came that Jesus would return before the death of the beloved disciple. And John explained, Jesus didn't say that. He said, if I will that he would remain, and if he had remained, this would be an old guy today. If I will that he would remain, what is that to you? In fact, he would go on to say, again, to emphasize, you follow me. So John wrote here simply to clarify, Jesus did not say that I would not die, but if he remains till I come, what is that to you? So we know of John, tradition teaches us that all the other disciples did die of martyrdom. Except for Judas, we know he hung himself. But John, after escaping suffering, being boiled in oil, and I don't know what that looked like, if he was boiled in oil and held the scars of that and survived, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and you know, none of his flesh was touched. The tradition doesn't address that. But afterwards, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ from the Lord, then being released. A tradition tells us that he returned to Ephesus, where he pastored until the day of his death. It is interesting that John was the longest living disciple. But John simply wanted to point out it doesn't matter what happens to me, Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? The emphasis is on the believer. You follow me. And we might say that about other people. Lord, what about this guy? We might do that in our prayers. We might, as a pastor, I could give an example. I'm not saying that I do this, but maybe I've been guilty of it before. Driving by that big crowded parking lot. Saying, Lord, but why? And the Lord will say, John, it's not your concern whether they have 200 cars in their parking lot or not. You follow me. We could be guilty of a very similar thing. 
But then the true testimony, verses 24 through 25, this disciple who testifies of these things, wrote these things, we know that his testimony is true. And there is also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written down one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So written 50 to 60 years after Jesus' resurrection, the Gospel of John. John lets us know that, first of all, I'm certifying this testimony. It's true. It's me. I've written these things. I know it's true. He lets us know also that Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles that he did not write about. According to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus' miracles, his signs attested that he had come from God. John 3, 2, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I tried to look up the number of miracles. I don't know if I've ever questioned this before, but I had the thought, well, if we combine all the Gospels together, how many miracles did they write about? And I basically came down to between 35 and 40 that have been written about, and it depends on what you describe as a miracle. So the number is the dependent on someone all the way back to the virgin birth is number one. And others started with the turning of water into wine as number one. So it depended on how they were counted. But between 35 and 40 miracles have been presented to us between the four Gospels. John, however, felt that seven signs were enough, enough to win somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Last time I taught from John 20, I rehearsed the seven signs. I'm going to do a bit of that now. The first was found in John 2, 1 through 11, turning water into wine. And it was the beginning of Jesus' signs. And this miracle teaches us that Jesus has power over the elements, but also the importance of obedience to do what he commands. Mary said to the servants there, whatever he tells you to do, do. The healing of a nobleman's son in John 4, 46 through 54. This miracle shows us that location doesn't matter. Jesus is able to heal from a distance if necessary. You know, I pray for my family who lives in Hawaii a lot. And it may seem odd to you, but oftentimes when I pray, I will lay my hand on my cell phone because... My cell phone is a connection point to my son. He'll talk to me. He'll text me. I'll see posts on Facebook or Instagram. And it's a connection point that I have. I could grab anything in the house that would remind me. It could be an old picture, or maybe some of his old sports equipment that's in the house. But in the 21st century, how many of us are often too far away from our phones I've carried it in my back pocket. I learned that you shouldn't sit on them. So I usually take it out of my pocket when I'm sitting down. I'm usually sitting when I'm praying. So it's usually out of the pocket, sitting on a table, and I'll just lay my hand on the phone and pray for my son. And I know that distance doesn't matter. And I, don't, I know that I don't need that connection point with Jesus, but that's 
To me, someone like the king in the Old Testament who took the letter that was written from the king of Assyria and he laid that letter out before the Lord and said, Lord, look what they're saying about you and your people. And he asked the Lord to act. So I think sometimes we can have a very uh, physical object to help us in our prayers, but with the healing of the nobleman's son, it teaches us that location doesn't matter. The third miracle in John 5, 1 through 15, the healing of a man with a 38-year infirmity, it reinforces the importance of our obedience to Jesus' command to allow us to experience his marvelous works. The feeding of the uh, 5,000, miracle number four, the unique thing about this miracle is found in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. This is the only miracle besides Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. This one miracle was so important that every Gospel writer wrote about this event. And three of the four wrote about the miracle that follows right afterwards, Jesus walking on the water. Three of the four, Luke didn't write about Jesus walking in the water, but Matthew and Mark did, and John as well. So the feeding of the 5,000. You know, one of the things I love about this miracle, there's a number of things, but I think one of the key things is our method of doing ministry. We first need to receive from Jesus before serving others. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus broke the bread and he distributed it to his disciples and the disciples took it and gave it to others. And that's how we do ministry. We first receive from Jesus that we'll be able to minister to others. Jesus walking on water again, the fifth miracle, three of the four gospels talk about this. John 6, 16 through 21. And as with many of Jesus's miracles, it shows the power that he had over the elements but also his watchful care over our lives. Jesus came at the last hour, uh, watch of the hour there, but Jesus was watching his disciples when they were struggling there. Now, there's a whole lot that can be said about that miracle, but uh, it has to do with obedience again. The disciples were in that storm. They were exactly where Jesus commanded them to be. He said, go in the boat, go to the other side. I'll meet you there. And it reminds us that oftentimes when we're right where the Lord would have us to be, we'll have a storm in our life that just seems about to drown us at times, to take us down. But it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't watching, and it doesn't mean that Jesus will not reveal himself at the hour of need. Sometimes our hour of need is not actually the greatest hour of need. We think it is. Lord, what's up? But the Lord has something more in store for us. Number six, the healing of a man born blind. It reminds us that God can take our disabilities and use them for his glory. And the reason I say that is because his disciples asked him, Lord, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his parents' sin or his own sin? And Jesus said, neither one. It was for the glory of God. So it reminds us that God can take our disabilities and use them for his glory. And then the seventh miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the grave. The final miracle reminds us that Jesus has power over the grave to set us free from the bondage of sin. But as the beloved of Jesus, may we continually give testimony of Jesus's great love for us.
That's what John did in his testimony. And he said, I certify to you that it is true. He basically said to his audience, it's me. You guys know I'm John. I'm the guy that's lived longer than all the other disciples. And I tell you that my testimony is true. And Father, I thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. There's so much to learn from your word, Lord, but it's not just to learn that we can have head knowledge. Of course, we want to know your word and have a greater knowledge of you. Of course, we want to draw closer to you. I pray that you would be with us now, that we would take the things that you teach us and instruct us, that we would use them for your glory. And Lord, if you have asked the question of us today, do you love me? And we have heard you ask, do you phileo me? And we realize, Lord, that you are reaching down to our level when you desire to bring us up to a greater place. Lord, first and foremost, we thank you for reaching us where we're at. And I pray, Lord, for those perhaps who are in that place that need to be lifted up by the hand of Jesus today to bring them to that place of agape love. I pray, Lord, that they would respond to you and know that love. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.